Welcome everyone, it's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can follow all the links at our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. But for now, let's turn our focus to the Bible. We're considering the manner in which we should learn to pray from the example of Elijah's prayer for rain in 1 Kings chapter 18. There, Elijah catches the sound of coming rain. He then tells King Ahab to go get something to eat. But Elijah himself responds to the sound of coming rain by going out to pray. And now the first application is to pray for God's promises and pray for them the more when you hear the sound of coming rain. And there are those occasions, I know it's happened, it doesn't happen every Sunday, but I know it happens when there's a clear impression that God is speaking and God's Spirit is settling upon us and He's communicating a truth that brings conviction to us. And you, in that moment in which God is clearly pointing by His Spirit the truth of the Word, convicting our hearts together, and you're aware of it, that sense of a holy hush. In that moment, I want you to, to understand that what you're listening to at that moment is the sound of the abundance of rain. God is indicating that there's something He wants to do. And He's quieting your hearts in preparation for a response to what He's saying. And at that moment, what needs to happen is for you not to rush out to get something to eat. It's to go home or to go to your closet and find a place to go before God and say, God, yes, that. More of that. God, move. God, work. God, do your work. I grew up, and I've referred to it a number of times at a little camp. It was a camp, Canby Grove Conference Center. It was a holiness camp that was built out among the large cedars in the Willamette Valley by missionaries on their furlough coming back from their work in various countries as a place where they could raise up a new generation to be passionate about missions, but it was also a place in which they would consistently bring a message of the deep work that God wanted to do in the life of the Christian, bringing them to a place of complete and utter consecration to Him. They would bring wonderful speakers that would come in, and you know, when they first began this camp, they would meet for two weeks. Later on, it got carved down to 10 days. That's about when I started going. Eventually, it got carved down to seven days. Now they do weekend retreats. They would bring these great preachers in and these old men would come and preach. They all were old, by the way. I was a little kid. They'd come and preach and these gray-headed men and they would have a profound impact on all the people listening. Eventually what happened towards the end of the 70s as I was becoming later a teenager, the focus was not on great preaching but being a great communicator. And so eventually these great preachers began to be set aside for guys who were great communicators. Ah, you could tell the influence. The great communicators had everybody laughing, had everybody listening. But there was also a different result. When these great old preachers would come and preach, when they were done preaching, they would vacate the campground. When they were done preaching, it was like the campground was, there was nobody around. Everybody would wander off to their tent. Everybody would wander off to their cabins. People would wander off to some place in the groves. There was silence throughout the camp at the end of the meeting. They retreated to places where they would meet with God and pray. In the 70s, when the great communicators came in that were really good at communicating their ideas, they would hold our attention as never before. And they were polished. 
And when they were done, there was usually a lineup at the hamburger stand. And there were people rushing to get snacks, and people were gathering together and carrying on their conversations with one another. It was a totally different experience. When the sound of the abundance of rain falls, and the people of God are listening with a heart passion for His glory and for His promises to be fulfilled, they're to go and pray, not go out and eat. That's the first thing. Listen for those things. Again, what would be the sound of the abundance of rain in your life? It would be like when you're in your own private devotions and God puts a word strongly to your heart. Don't be satisfied to have the branches stirred by the breeze of God's Spirit. Ah, that that was inspiring. Hear in it an indication that God wants to pour out rain and get alone with Him and seek Him and pray with Him and plead for the fall fully to come upon your life. When God, in the midst of your prayers, gives you a view of the answer of prayer for the life of another individual. Let's say you're praying for a person that they might come into repentance and come to true faith in Him. And as you're praying for them and your prayers, somehow you get hold of a thought of the moment and when that might take place. And your heart turns to the moment of that turning and you see it as if it were really happening. And and this has happened to me. Praying for individuals or groups of individuals and all of a sudden my eye catches the glimpse of the coming and casting himself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and finding his forgiveness and his cleansing and it's as if it's happening in my mind and folks, that's the sound of the abundance of rain. God is indicating to you what he wants to do and is longing to do. He's sharing with you his secret of his work and you hear it and you plead all the more for it and pray for it. You learn of someone who's inquiring of the things of God and you pray, oh God, move them deeper and deeper into yourself. Oh God, stir up more and more your work. Your children begin asking questions about the truth or about God's word and they seem to listen to you when you speak to them as they don't usually. You can tell that something's speaking to them and you go away and you pray. Now the first thing you need to do to cure the sound of the abundance of rain is you've got to get God's promises in your heart. Without those promises being lodged in your heart with a great longing for them, God may reveal to you what he's doing. God may indicate to you that he's fulfilling the promises and you will not be inspired to go and pray, but you'll just go out from that and go back to eat some more. So get God's promises in your heart. Get a great longing heart for his glory. Then respond when you see that God is beginning to do something. Here's a second thing. You should go apart and be with God to pray. There's a bit of a brush off here of Ahab by Elijah. Ahab, why don't you go do what you do best? Go feed your appetites. He's sending Ahab on his way, and Elijah, as he sends Ahab in one direction, goes in the other direction to meet with God. Listen, at some point, you have to shake loose from those whose appetites are not to seek God's will in prayer. I'm not saying that you don't want to be with them periodically. You don't want to be with them, but there have to be times in your life when you go away. You find a place with God. And again, remember what's just happened here. The fire of God has fallen upon the sacrifice that Elijah has laid out for the people on Mount Carmel. And God has indicated that he's going to do something great and something powerful. And the people's hearts are turning back to him. And at this moment in time, Elijah has no heart for any more public discourse and conversations. He wants to be alone with God. Don't ignore those impulses. God is wanting to send rain after the fire and he's prompting Elijah and he prompts us to go away into a private place to pray. 
There's a need to find a place to get alone with God where we're quiet ourselves, where we push away from distractions, where we remove ourselves from the wandering minds of our companies and ourselves. And we press in to be near to God. By the way, pastors oftentimes pray publicly. There's opportunities to pray here, opportunities to pray with other individuals, and the problem is the pastor can satisfy his need to be before the Lord because he's prayed in a public fashion and it's not enough. Jesus says that when we pray, we have to go into our closet. We have to shut the door. We pray to our Father in heaven in secret, who hears us in secret, and he sends his rewards to us openly. Get alone with God. Find that place. That's what Elijah does. He goes back up to the top of Mount Carmel to be alone by himself to pray. Here's the third thing we could see here. We should pray with our faces to the ground. We should pray with our faces to the ground. I want you to think about Elijah for a moment and just kind of review the chapter that we've just been studying here. Here, Elijah first, the beginning of the chapter, goes and confronts King Ahab. King Ahab says, is that you who's the trouble of Israel? And Elijah says, I'm not the one who's troubled Israel, but you have because you've forsaken the law of God and so have your fathers. And you see Elijah standing with his face full forward, addressing Ahab like a man. Then Elijah goes and gathers all the people together on Mount Carmel, and there he confronts the 450 prophets of Baal, and he confronts the people of Israel themselves, and he says to them, now listen, you go and build your altar and put your sacrifice on it, and you pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God. And there they go out and plead and cut themselves, praying to the Baal to send down fire upon an altar, and it never comes, and Elijah's there the whole time you can see him, mocking them looking on as they're doing it. And then when Elijah builds the altar and reconstructs the altar that's been forsaken by the people of Israel to God and he begins to correct them as he does it, remember, he's grabbing 12 stones. He says, these represent the 12 tribes of Israel because your names were to be called the princes of God. You were to be Israel. You were God's chosen people. So he's, he's lecturing them and correcting them as he builds the altar and then he lays the altar out and then he prays. And in our minds, we see Elijah as he prays lifting up his face to heaven and putting his arms out before God and saying, God, that it might be revealed that I've done all these things according to your word. Fire falls on the altar. Immediately after that, the people begin to repent and Elijah in the power of that spirit goes and takes the 450 prophets of Baal and what does it say he does? He slays them all. Such manly expressions of influence and power and the Spirit being upon him. But now he goes to pray for rain. God has answered in such a powerful way. And now he prays that God will bless and pour out rain upon the people and he does not have his head up. His body is low to the ground. His face is between his knees. This is the true reaction of anyone who knows that they've been used mightily by God. The person who takes to heart what has happened when God works through them, doesn't grow in brashness, but in humility. They don't go strutting out before people, but they run from them trembling and looking for a place to fall on their face before God, who has worked so mightily through them. You see a person growing proud in the ministry and the way that God has used them, and you see a person who has come to exercise their ministry and the energy and ingenuity of their own flesh. Because when God works through you, and when God does powerful things, it humbles you. It brings you down to your knees. 
God had come upon Elijah in that moment through his obedience and his response to him and God had done this powerful and great thing and Elijah can't hold his head up anymore. He was holding his head up before the people as a representative of the prophet of God to the people of God and speaking the power and strength of God's word but now he's alone before God and he's on his knees before God and his head is to the ground. God, it was all of you. It was all of your work. The Bible says someday that God is going to give us a crown for the work that we've done for him. The work that we've done through his own enabling and his own empowering. Those things that we've done by his strength and his power that bring glory and honor to him. And these crowns are going to be placed upon our heads. But we're, we're never really to forget where these crowns belong. They don't really belong on our heads. They belong at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And we're supposed to prepare ourselves to cast them there. If you forget this, and you begin to gloat over how or what or where God has used you, you nullify why God entrusted the work to you all along. The reason God gave that work to you was in the midst of your weakness, he wanted to get glory for himself and to glorify himself. Prayer is the place where we not only meet God, but we meet ourselves before God, and it should always produce in us humility. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.